Please take your Bibles and turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 14, we are going to read verses 6 through 13. I had intended to read the rest of the chapter, but there's too much here for that, and so this morning we're just going to look at verses 6 through 13. I've said to you uh, throughout this series that we often make this book more difficult than it has to be. Uh, Revelation is given to us not to confuse us, not to make us frustrated, but Revelation is given to us ultimately for our comfort. And we saw, if you were here last Sunday, we saw this wonderful glimpse that John had into heaven where he, he saw the Lamb, he saw Jesus, and he saw all of God's people, all of them were there singing praise to God for his great work of redemption. This morning, though, we are given a very stark reminder that not all people worship God. Not all people have a saving relationship with God. And this passage reminds us as well that a day of judgment is coming upon all who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And it is this reality Uh, The reality of eternity that is to, in a sense, drive the mission of the church and drive the mission of God's people, that, that there is an eternity coming for all of us, unbeliever and believer. And that passage, the passage we're going to look at, uh, tells us that very clearly this morning. So Revelation 14, uh, beginning at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever And they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Children, I'm going to ask you to um, have two things in your mind right now. I want you to picture two things. First of all, picture a circle. And then I want you to picture a line. Okay, a circle and a line. Some people view life like a circle. That life just keeps going around and around and around with no end. That's basically the theory that's behind reincarnation. 
It's the idea that, that after you die, that's not the end in this life, but you come back as something else. If you've been a, a really good person, you might come back as uh, some really important person. If you've been a bad person, you might come back as a cockroach. But it's the idea that, that how you live here and now will, will determine what form you will have when you come back to life in this life. It's the, it's the circle of life, right? Around and around and around it goes and it never ends. The Bible, however, tells us that life is not like a circle. The Bible tells us that life is like a line. In other words, your life is headed toward an end. History is headed toward an end. Life will not continue on and on and on forever and ever. One day, life as we know it on this earth will end. And all of us will go into our eternities. And, and when that end comes, all people will spend forever in one of two places. Our passage this morning is a reminder of this, and it's a reminder that, that what we do here and now is important, very important. We're all headed toward an end. We're all headed toward eternity. And, and what that means is that whether we are young or old, we need to prepare ourselves for that day. We need to prepare ourselves for eternity. And not only are we to prepare ourselves for eternity, but we are also called to help others prepare for their eternity as well. As we think about the church's calling this morning, we, we want to do so from the perspective of these three angels and their messages that are found here in this passage. Now, each one of these angels has a, has a somewhat different message. But, but in these messages, we are reminded of the calling that, that we have as Christians and that we have as a church. This is one of the things that we talked about back in uh, January when we celebrated our 25th anniversary as a church. It's, it's good to look back. It's good to spend that month thinking about God's faithfulness in the past. It's good that we had a church dinner and we, we watched slides and we heard testimony. We, we are reminded of how God has been so good to this church over 25 years. And to celebrate his faithfulness. But, but there comes a point when you move forward. That there comes a point when, when we need to ask, what would the Lord have us to do now and in the future? Not just in the past. As important as the past is, and as we celebrate the past, we also have to move forward. And I appreciate this passage because it, it helps us to understand our calling. We have a calling as a church. We have a calling as Christians. We have a message. And it's a message that is to be delivered to this world. And these angels tell us what this message is. And so we're going to look at the three angels this morning. The first angel is in verse 6. And, and notice what John writes. He says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people, 
And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. John hears the first angel. And this first angel is very instructive for us because this angel tells us four things about our message. First of all, our message contains good news. Children, you see that word gospel in verse 6. The word gospel is a word that we use quite frequently as Christians. We, we use it a lot in our church. But what does the word gospel mean? The word gospel very simply means good news. We are tasked with a calling to proclaim good news. The good news that in Jesus Christ there is forgiveness of sins. The good news that in Jesus Christ there is peace with God. The good news that in Jesus Christ there is deliverance from eternal judgment. The good news that in Jesus Christ there is eternal life. All of this is good news. What a joy and what a privilege it is for us not only to know this good news and believe this good news, but what a joy it is for us to be able to tell this good news to others. To tell them of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That is our calling. Secondly, we are also reminded here that our message does not change. You'll notice that in verse 6, this gospel is described as being eternal. It is an eternal gospel. The gospel doesn't change. The gospel that the church preached 2,000 years ago is the same gospel that we preach today. Our message is, is not some passing fad. Our message does not change from one generation to the next. Now, now certainly what we say to a five-year-old is different than what we say to a 45-year-old. But the essential message is the same. It will always be the same. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's our message. We don't need to tailor it for the 21st century. We don't need to change it for modern man. It remains the same. Third, our message, you'll notice, is to go out to all people. The end of verse 6 talks about every nation and tribe and language and people. We, we don't discriminate when it comes to preaching the gospel. We, we don't say, well, you're worthy of the gospel, but you're not. Now, we might never come out and say that. I don't think we would have the, the guts to do that. And we might not ever admit to thinking that. But is it possible that that kind of thinking can sometimes creep into our hearts? The drug addict, the prostitute, the homeless person, the career criminal. We, we might not think that they're worthy of this message, or if they were, we might prefer that they go to church somewhere else. We might think they'll never change. They'll always be the same. They'll never believe in Jesus. But how do you know that? Do we doubt the power of God that's in the gospel? Most of you have probably heard the name John Newton before. John Newton is um, most famous for writing the hymn Amazing Grace. 
John Newton grew up in a Christian home. He had a very godly mother who unfortunately died when John Newton was only seven. And when Newton's mother died, John Newton began hanging out with some pretty rough kids, even at his age. Eventually, John Newton, as a young teenager, ended up working on a slave trading ship. And, and John Newton would, would shackle and chain Africans and, and pack them below deck in horrible conditions. And over the years, John Newton's life just spiraled out of control. He was a very vile man. In fact, he was well known in his early years for writing vulgar songs for sailors to sing. And, and he even said this about himself. He said, I not only sinned with a high hand myself, but I made it my practice to tempt others to sin with me. John Newton was the kind of guy that, that we might be tempted to say, I'm not wasting my time with that filthy, foul-mouthed slave trader. He'll never change. Ironically, things got so bad for John Newton that he ended up working for a slave trader who actually enslaved Newton himself. And when he wasn't working, Newton himself was chained and locked up and survived on a very small ration of fish and rice. Newton's father, though, didn't give up on his son. Newton's father sent a message to Newton through uh, uh, the captain of a ship called the Greyhound. And, and the, the message that Newton's father sent to John Newton simply said, Son, I love you, and I'm worried about you. I want you to come home to England. And that's what Newton did. Newton got the message from the captain of that ship. He jumped on that ship, the Greyhound, and he headed home to his father. And, and while he was on the ship, Newton began to reflect on the gospel that he had heard as a young child from his mother. The gospel that, that Jesus was Savior. And as Newton was on that ship, the Greyhound, and, and making his way back home, he, he thought to himself, you know, the Bible says that Jesus died for sinners but could he forgive my sins, which are so many and so terrible? But he eventually realized that there were some pretty rotten sinners in the Bible as well. Murderers, adulterers, thieves, swindlers, and that they had found forgiveness. And as Newton was on that ship, the Holy Spirit opened his heart and, and Newton there on that ship cried out to God and asked God to forgive his sins through Jesus. A most amazing conversion story. That, that makes the song Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me really, really come to life, doesn't it? Eventually, as Newton approached the end of his life, as he approached death, he wrote the words that would appear on his gravestone. John Newton, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he once tried to destroy. The gospel is to go out to all people. Don't ever, ever stop praying for that person that seems like a lost cause. Don't, don't ever stop looking for opportunities to bring the gospel to them. The gospel is to go out to all men, women, and children. And so, the message we have is good news. 
The, the message we have doesn't change. The message is to go out to all people. And, and fourth, this first angel tells us that our message includes a warning of judgment. You, you'll notice that this first angel calls on all people to fear God, to give God glory, to worship God. Why? Because the hour of God's judgment has come. We are unfaithful if we do not warn the unbeliever of judgment. I read an article the other day that was very disturbing to me. Um, it seems that one of the more liberal wings in the Presbyterian Church in the United States, we, we know it as the PCUSA. This is not the PCA. We're talking the PCUSA. One of the more liberal wings in the PCUSA is arguing for a new understanding of heaven and hell. What they're saying is that, that heaven and hell are not literal places, that, that they are metaphors, that, that heaven is a metaphor for the blessedness of a relationship with God in this life, and hell is a metaphor for living in the absence of God in this life. Now, these people should read their Bibles because the Bible is, is clear that there is a literal heaven and there is a literal hell. And, and connected to that, a day of judgment is coming. For all who do not repent, for all who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, a day of judgment is coming. And I say that to, to any here this morning, any watching on live stream, if you do not believe in Christ, the Bible is clear that judgment is coming. So while our message contains good news, the best news, it also contains a very sober warning for those who do not embrace Jesus. So that's the first angel. Shapes our message, shapes our mission. Second angel is found in verse eight. Another angel, a second, followed saying, fallen Fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now this is the first mention of Babylon in the book of Revelation. It's going to come up again, but this is the first time it's mentioned. Now we know Babylon in the Old Testament being a, a literal place. We know that as the home of King Nebuchadnezzar. We know that as the people who persecuted Israel. But, but here in Revelation, Babylon is not uh, talking literal Babylon. This is symbolic. Babylon is a symbol of any earthly institution that oppresses or seduces God's people. You'll notice the language of verse 8 talks about drinking the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The, the idea is that this Babylon seduces us, seeks to lure us away. This is, again, one of the dragon's schemes to use this sinful world to seduce us, to use this sinful world to, in a sense, draw us away from devotion to the one true God, to make us think like the world, to make the world's loves and the world's priorities our loves and our priorities. And, and you know, if you're at all like me, you know that it's very easy to be seduced by this. It's very easy to be seduced by the thinking and the priorities of this world. But this world is not our friend. The sinful world is not our friend. James says something interesting in James chapter 4. 
He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Things of the world seem so attractive. The world promises us so much. The world promises us fulfillment if you'll be like us. Happiness if you'll be like us. Meaning, success, just follow us. Just be like us. But to be a friend of the world, the Bible says, is to be an enemy of God. And in the end, did you notice what John tells us about Babylon? Did you notice what John tells us about this seducing world that we live in? Babylon's going to fall. This sinful world is is not going to survive the day of judgment. It's important that we remember this. It's also important that we teach this to the coming generations. I ask you this morning as parents... um, First of all, by your example, are you showing your children that your devotion is to Jesus and not to the things of this world? Is it it evident to them that you love Jesus? Do you love his church? Is it evident to them that the, the seduction of this world has no real ultimate value for you? And so are you teaching them, are we teaching the children by our examples? Secondly, by your words, parents, are you being intentional in in teaching your children that this world will try to seduce them? That, That this world will seek to draw them away from the Lord? That this sinful world is not their friend? It doesn't have their best interests at heart. And that ultimately this world will never deliver what it promises. We have to think about that. Are we teaching our children through our example and through our words that the things of this life have no real ultimate hold on us? This too is part of our calling. To warn people, to warn this world of the fleeting nature of Babylon. Then there's the third angel. His message begins in verse 9. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Again, we have, a, in a sense, a two-pronged attack, don't we? We have a two-pronged calling. We have the calling, according to the first angel, to deliver the good news, to announce the good news, to announce that all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, will be forgiven, will be delivered, and will be given eternal life. And that is our comfort, both in this life and in the life to come. But we also, secondly, have that calling to proclaim judgment to those who will not believe. Now let's face it, that that we probably find more joy in proclaiming the good news 
right? I'm sure the typical doctor would rather say you're pregnant than you've got cancer. We, we would prefer to preach the good news. But we also have to preach the bad news. My calling as a preacher is to tell you of the bad news if you will not repent. And our calling as a church is to tell this world of the bad news if they will not repent and believe. And you'll notice that in this third angel's message, we are told two things. First of all, we are told that all roads don't lead to God. All roads do not lead to God. The Bible tells us that there are only two people in this world. There are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and there are those who do not. There's no third category. We've seen this distinction already in Revelation that there are those who have received God's mark on their forehead and there are those who have received the beast's mark on their forehead. That's it. There's no third group. Those are the only two groups of people in the world. There is the church and there is the world. There is the believer in Christ and there is the unbeliever. There is the kingdom of God and there is the kingdom of Satan. There is the kingdom of light and there is the kingdom of darkness. And nowhere does the Bible say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Nowhere does Scripture say that. Nowhere does God tell us that. Nowhere does God say to us, you choose the path to me. Maybe it's Christianity, maybe it's something else. The Bible doesn't say that. Now we have to remember something as Christians, that we're not part of God's kingdom because we're better than other people. We're not part of God's kingdom because we're smarter or more moral. We are part of the kingdom of God by grace alone. We have to always remember that. But, but let's not fall for the seduction of this world that tells us it doesn't really matter what you believe. Notice what our text says. Those who have received the mark of the beast. In other words, all those who are not trusting in the Lord Jesus as their Savior will drink the wine of God's wrath. They will be judged. And you'll notice that this is not a one-day judgment. This is not a one-month judgment. And that's the second thing that this third angel tells us, that God's judgment is eternal. Look at verse 11. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. How awful, how awful this will be. If you're not trusting in Jesus, if you've not fled to him, how awful this will be for you. There will be no relief. There will be no breaks. Endless torment forever and ever. The only way of escape is to run to Jesus Christ. 
You see, Jesus Christ took the punishment. He took the wrath of God for all who would believe in him when he hung on the cross. And, and so if you're trusting Christ, if he is your savior, you, you, will, you will never live in that part of Revelation 14. That will never be true of you. You will never face his divine judgment. And, and again, brothers and sisters, this, this reminds us that Zion has a calling. The Christian has a calling. It's a calling to, to be a herald, to be a, a proclaimer. It's a, it's a calling to proclaim both the good news and the bad news. It's a calling to, to warn people to flee from the coming judgment, to flee to Jesus, to flee from the seduction of this world. How faithful are we to this calling? I confess to you this morning that I wish I was more faithful in, in telling people that God places in my life about the good news and the bad news. It's easy up here. It really is, in a sense. No one, at least at this point, no one's going to rush the pulpit and tell me to shut up. No one's going to rush up here and tell me to get lost. No one's going to stand up and say, I don't ever want to hear that again. Be quiet. It's safe up here. But if you're like me, you know that because we, we fear rejection, we don't like it when people don't like us. We, we fear saying the wrong thing. We fear offending people. And so we stay silent. I was working in my office on Tuesday morning, and the alarm company was here installing a new um, uh, keyless entry into our office area. And there were, a, there were a couple of guys working, and they were, they were right outside my office door, so I could hear everything that they were saying. And, and it seemed that their conversation was just very natural. It was two guys, and they were talking about their work. They were talking about the job that they were doing. And at one point, my, my ears really perked up, because at one point I heard one of, the, one of the men say to the other, do you know Jesus? Is he your Savior? And, and then he proceeded very naturally to, to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is our only hope. It wasn't forced. It wasn't awkward. He didn't get out a booklet and say, let me, let me read this to you. It's just very, very natural. Do you know Jesus? And I thought, you know, we, we so often make it more difficult than it has to be. We're just called to tell people about Jesus. Have we forgotten that calling? Have we forgotten that what these three angels remind us is that we are called as a church and as individual Christians to tell other people about Jesus, that he is our only hope. Passage ends, and you'll notice that John gives us an encouragement. Look at verse 12. It's basically the encouragement to endure, to persevere, press on, don't give up. You know, it's easy to lose heart. It's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to, to think the church is losing the battle. 
But that's what's so great about this book. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. The dragon is going to lose. Babylon's going to fall. And by God's grace, you and I are part of an eternal kingdom that will never fall. And to give us more encouragement, notice verse 13. John says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Life is not always easy. Life is often difficult. It's often hard. It's often discouraging. But the Bible says that one day we will be at rest. And today, we are one day closer to the return of Jesus Christ. You may have heard the news this week that on Friday, um, Tim Keller, who's a pretty well-known Presbyterian pastor and author, died from cancer. The day before he died, Keller's family gathered around him And here's what Keller prayed. It was recorded by one of his sons. Keller prayed, Lord, I'm thankful for all the people who have prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time that you've given me. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Lord, send me home. He's home now. One day, all of us will be home. Life is not a circle. Life is a line. And by the grace of God, that's where we are headed. One day, we will be home. Don't give up. Press on. God will give you the strength. God will encourage us in the calling that we have to preach Christ and to look forward to that day when we are home. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the messages of these three angels. We thank you for how they instruct us about our calling, our calling to preach Christ, our calling to proclaim good news and bad news. We thank you that you've given to us your spirit who will give us the strength that we need. Lord, allow us, strengthen us to take those opportunities and to tell others about the Lord Jesus. And as we do, may we rejoice that we all will one day be home. One day, the burdens of this life will be gone. Sin will be no more. And we will be in your presence forever. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for all that you give to us in Jesus, and we pray this in his name.